Amen. Hey, uh, welcome everybody. Um, we're going to continue this morning in our uh, series called Intermission as we kind of look at the prison letters of the Apostle Paul. And, and this morning we're moving on to the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, either in the room or you at home, if you want to open them up to Philippians chapter 1, that's where we're going to be hanging out today. My prayer over you and, and your homes today is that you feel the peace of God and that, uh, that your hope would be renewed today um, by the power of the Holy Spirit through the working of His Word. And so let's read it together. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 30. It's a pretty big chunk of Scripture, and so we're just going to read it all to start off, and then we'll, uh, we'll get going. And here we go. Philippians 1, 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former... Proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I'm hard-pressed between the two, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would open up the riches of your word to us today, that you would get us inside the, the mind of Paul, but even more than that, the heart of Jesus. Would you, would you show us how we're supposed to live in days like these, based on words that we just heard. As Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he wrote from, from, a, from a prison. He wrote from house arrest in Rome. He wrote not really knowing 
what was going to come next because he couldn't control any of it, but he was trying to be faithful in the midst of it. Rather than worrying about what he couldn't do, he focused on what he could do to expand the kingdom. I pray that we would have the same mindset today. Teach us by the power of your Spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people all over the place said, Amen. All right, guys, this is what's going to happen this morning. I'm going to give you four truths from this passage of Scripture that I think pertain to going through difficult seasons of life. It could be stuff like we're going through right now on a broad scale. It could be the battles that you're facing in your own homes right now. You see, so much focus has been given to to societal events and what our country is going through, what the world's going through, and all the while you're still going through your stuff, right? I mean, you still have your battles that are unique to you. I think the words of Paul pointing to the heart of Christ teach us a lot of things about how to walk through times like these, okay? And so I'm just going to give you four of them, and just so you don't get confused, I'm going to give them to you in advance, Okay, these are the four things. If you're taking notes, these are the four things. If you're in a discussion group, a a virtual small group this week, there'll be a question about each of these four things. Okay, are you ready? Here's the first one. This is not original with me, but it's the old cliche, there is no I in team. There is no I in team. That's going to be the first spiritual truth I want to pull out of this passage. The second one is this, rejoicing in hope makes much of Jesus. Rejoicing in hope through times of suffering makes much of or magnifies the name of Jesus. The third one is this. Be careful how you fill in the blanks because it really matters more than you realize. Be careful how you fill in the blanks because it matters more than you realize. And the fourth one is this. There really is a gift that keeps on giving. It may not be the one you think. There really is a gift that keeps on giving, but it may not be the one you think. Those are four things. We're going to tackle all of them. Are you ready? They're so excited in the room. I hope you're that excited at home. Really do. Here we go. There is no I in team. We're going to focus on verses 12 through 18 as we look at this. Sorry, I got a little something in the old throat there. Man, I wish I had a cup like Brock always does, and I could take a drink, you know, at that. He always knows exactly when to do it. Love it. Only if it's your cup. No, it's okay. Never mind. It's not cool just a bottle of water. Okay, here we go. There is no I in team. See if you agree with me on this. Our faith is a very personal thing, right? Your faith. You can't live on your, your father's faith or your mother's faith or your brother's faith. You have to have a personal faith, right? Okay, there, there are a lot of people relying on someone else's faith. Your faith is very personal. But that personal faith is meant to be lived out in the context of Christian community, right? That's why it's, it's so difficult to know how to do church in times like these when we can't gather together and we can't draw strength from one another the way that we're used to. But your faith is meant to be lived out in the context of Christian community. That means the good times, and that means the bad times. All of it. There is no I in team because you're part of a team. You can't be one of these people that just say, oh, yeah, my faith's a personal thing. It's just me and Jesus. I don't have much to do with the church. Have you heard people say that? 
I don't organize religion. That's not for me. It's just me and Jesus. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't just invite you to the party. You're a part of a much bigger story. And one of the reasons that we find so little fulfillment in our spiritual lives often is that we try to do it on our own. We try to do it on our own. And there's a bigger story being told than your story. See, this is the truth. Times like these when we suffer, it helps to know you're not alone, right? It helps to know that there are other people like you struggling with what you're struggling with. Let me tell you a really miserable place to live. Self-absorption. Self-obsession. Thank you, Kenzie. I appreciate you. Self-obsession is a horrible place to live. Do you know people like this? Are you a people like this? I'm prone to be. I think we all are from time to time when we just obsess about ourselves, right? You know the loneliest place to be is in a place of suffering when you're just totally focused on your own suffering for your own sake. It's a, it's a miserable place to be. But you know what? It is possible to suffer for a bigger cause. There are a few, there are a few mothers in the room. Um, do you remember what it was like, Claudia, when you were carrying Audrey and Aaron around in your belly? It wasn't fun, probably, you're, unless you're one of those people that just says, I love being pregnant. My wife doesn't like those people, by the way. My wife loved having babies, but she didn't love being pregnant. Why? Because you suffer. I mean, there are all these things that you, on purpose, just choose not to do for the sake of the good of the one you're carrying, right? This is a picture, it's a beautiful picture of suffering leading to life. Suffering for a greater cause, for a certain period of time, for the well-being of someone else. Guys, that is a picture of Christian suffering. It's a picture of what Jesus is calling us to share in as we willingly suffer, not for our own sake, but for the sake of someone else. See, this is, the, this is the truth. We have no control over the outcome most of the time. All you worriers out there, you have no control most of the time. We have no control over how this pandemic is going to play out, how it will ultimately affect us. We have no control. What do we have control over? How we manage ourselves through it, how we keep perspective that, yeah, it's not, it's not what I would choose, but for the sake of a greater good, I'm going to take that perspective. We have no control over the outcome, but our faith can help others. That's what Paul said. He's stuck in prison and he's saying, hey, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. People are hearing about Christ all over the place. Yeah, I'm suffering, but something bigger is happening here. Not only are, are unbelievers coming to know Christ because of what they see and how I'm walking through this, the faith of my brothers and sisters, the other believers, is being emboldened. Do you know that the way that you walk through this, these days, do you know that the way that you walk through these days can give 
courage to the people that watch you? Fathers, in your homes, do you know that the way that you walk fearlessly into whatever's next can impact your wife and your children? Your coworkers, if you're still in your office and you, and you just walk with a faith that builds someone else up? Guys, that is our calling in a time like this because there is no I in team. It's not about your personal faith as much as it is living it out in the context of Christian community. Guys, the church has to find different ways to be the church. And praise God, I feel like we are. I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But it reminds me of, of Paul and Silas where in, where they're in prison in Acts chapter 16. If you know the story, they're taken to the inner cell and they're in chains and it's about midnight and they're singing hymns. And the word says that the other prisoners were listening. They had the context that their faith was making a difference above their circumstance. And when the, when the ground shook and the doors flew open, their first instinct wasn't to just save themselves. There was something bigger going on. Guys, I, I'm here to tell you today that I feel like something bigger is going on. And you and I have a chance to focus on the, those things and to suffer well. I find it interesting that, that right after he talks about his faith making other people bolder in their faith, he goes on to say that there are all kinds of people preaching the name of Jesus and some of them are doing it for the right motives and some of them are not. But guess what? Paul didn't try to decide, well, I... I can't support that. I can't, that, that they're not, they don't believe exactly the way I do. No, Paul said he didn't care about their motives because Christ was being lifted up. Church, church at large, church out there, not the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Catholic church or the church of Christ or any of the denominational lines that we've drawn in the sand. Maybe it's time for us to quit disagreeing about things that are not pertinent and just focus on who Jesus is and Jesus being lifted up. I said this the other day when given the opportunity to, to kind of give a one-minute sermon on, on TV. I, this idea that these days have created an environment where things that used to divide us God is using by the grace of God to help unite us. What would happen if the church really united? If the church really just focused on the gospel and realized there is no I in team? What, what would this world look like if the church started acting like the church? That's the first thing. There is no I in team. Suffering for yourself miserable place to be, but suffering for the good of someone else is a worthy calling. Second thing is this, rejoicing in hope makes much of Jesus. See, the way that we suffer matters. There are enough Eeyore Christians in the world. We need more Winnie the Pooh Christians. This is for St Stacy Lewis. You're out there. She's a big Winnie the Pooh fan, okay? 
It's like there's so many Christians out there that believe the Bible and they're just beaten down by it and they're just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. And Winnie the Pooh is just wondering where the next honey jar is. It's like there's nothing, there's, there's nothing in him but hope, right? Guys, rejoicing in hope, rejoicing even in the midst of suffering matters because those other prisoners are watching and they're listening. Paul talked an awful lot about rejoicing, didn't he? In all these prison letters, you're going to see the theme throughout. Right here in verse 18, Paul says, right after he's, he says all this about people preaching the gospel for impure motives, he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So he's like, he says it twice in the same verse. Why? Why is it such a big deal to rejoice? I believe the, he gives us the answer. In, in the message translation of this passage, verse 19 says this. It says, because through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything He wants to do in me and through me will be done. Guys, that's called hope. Regardless of your circumstance, can you say today, because of the faithful prayers of those around you who are lifting you up and the, the Spirit of Jesus the power of Christ that raised, the power that Christ raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, right? That's what the Bible says. So if we know we have our community around us lifting us up and we have the power of Jesus in us, we can walk in confidence, even if we don't know how it's going to turn out, because we know this, that everything he wants to do in you and through you will be done. People, that's hope. That's a hope that will not disappoint. I love that phrase where it says that through the prayers of the saints, through the prayers of those around you, do you realize you have a part to play in how the people around you overcome the things that are on their path right now? You have... You have a part to play. We have a, one of our we will statements is we will pray in the spirit, believing all things are possible. You have people praying for you right now and you have no idea who they are. I am so grateful for the people in our church that intercede on a regular basis for one another. You're playing your part in this story and it matters. In verse 20, Paul says this. It is my expectation and hope that with full courage Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. It is, it's, it's my hope with full courage that whether I live or die, Christ will be honored. That word for honored in your translation, depending on which one you're, you're reading, it might have the word magnified there. That Christ will be magnified in my body, whether I live or die. See, the outcome doesn't matter. The outcome doesn't matter here because this is a bigger story. Because this story is like a vapor. No matter how tightly we try to hang on to it, ultimately the question is, will Christ be magnified 
in your life, whether by life or by death. I was reading John Corson's commentary on, on this passage, and he brought up the, the idea of, of this magnification of Jesus. Like, why does Jesus need to be magnified in our lives? Is he not big enough already? I mean, really, can we magnify Jesus? I mean, Jesus is big enough to take care of himself, right? The Corson talked about this. He talked about telescopes and microscopes. Telescopes and microscopes. See, telescopes bring things that are far off. They bring them closer so we can see them clearer, right? Give you an example. Beautiful day outside. If you walk outside, if you look out your window and you look up at the sun, you can see it today. You can't look right at it, but it's obvious it's there, right? But you have no idea how big it really is. See, our sun is so big that if it was hollowed out, the earth could fit inside it 1.3 million times. It's that much bigger than where we live. But the sun, you see, it's just a small star in the solar system. Our sun is dwarfed by the star Antares. Antares could hold 64 of the sun inside of it. But Antares is, is tiny compared to the star Hercules. The star Hercules could hold 100 million Antares inside it. But Hercules is just a speck compared to the biggest star that's known, which is called Epsilon, which could hold 300 million Hercules inside it. You, are you getting a glimpse of how big the universe is? And when God says he measured it with the expanse of his hand, that's saying a lot. But see, those things are so far out there that we can't appreciate the gravity of how big they are. And so a telescope helps bring it closer so that we can see it. Guys, people in this world are so far away from Jesus. The last thing on their minds, the life of a believer magnifies Jesus when, he, when it brings Jesus closer to those from which he's far away. Does that make sense? What about a microscope? Microscopes kind of do the other thing. They take little small things. See, we wear these right here. When you get my age, you wear these to make little bitty words recognizable. See, in the life of a believer, Jesus is pretty small. He plays very little part because they don't think about him. They don't think he's relevant. They don't think he's substantive. They don't think he's real. Guess how they find out he's real? By him being magnified in your life. As you walk through struggles, as you walk through pain, and you do it without bitterness. And you do it recognizing there's a, there's a higher calling on your life than just this pain. See, your hope has to be bigger than your pain. When we let our pain be bigger than our hope, that's when we get in that downward spiral. We're circling the drain. Microscopes make things that are, seem small much clearer to see. See, the believer's body whether you live or whether you die, whether you win or whether you lose, whether it works out for you in this life, if you're holding on to the faith that Jesus says, hey, we are, we're, we're citizens of a, of a city that's, that's not here. This is not our home. And if we live that way, whether we live or whether we die, guess what? Your body 
whether you live or die, becomes the lens by which other people view Jesus. It's the lens. It might, it might bring something that's far away, close enough for them to see it. It may bring something that seems so small and insignificant to light in a way that they realize it matters. Whether by life or by death, making much of Jesus, magnifying Jesus, it's the call on every one of your lives. If you claim the name of Jesus, then embrace this, your faith through times of difficulty and suffering, even in spite of your suffering, magnifies Jesus so that others can see him more clearly. Our number one we will statement at Whitestone Church is simply this, we will make much of Jesus. How? By magnifying his goodness, his rightness, his faithfulness in times of difficulty. And not being like Lieutenant Dan when we just shake our fist at God. No, we embrace, we embrace the truth that only comes by faith. See, this theme of rejoicing in hard times, it's, it runs all through the book of Philippians. Paul just doesn't say it once. He doesn't just say it twice. He says it over and over and over. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. He said, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, I'm glad and rejoice. Likewise, you should always, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Even if my life turns out to just be a puff of steam coming off the sacrifice of your faith. It's talking about Old Testament sacrificial offering where they took a, a cup of wine and the, it was the most insignificant part of the offering. They would pour it on the sacrifice and it would just, it would just disappear. Paul says, even if my life amounts to just that for your faith, I rejoice and you should rejoice with me. Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write you the same things is no trouble for me. And it's safe for you. Hey, I'll tell you over and over again until you listen. Rejoice. Because God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. You guys know that verse. It's talking about not worshiping on the mountaintop, but worshiping from the valley. Worshiping when your bones ache, when, when your faith is failing. That's when we're supposed to rejoice. Guys, I'm not naive enough to say, oh, that's easy. No, it can only be done in Christ. The Spirit living in you has to be stronger than your flesh. The last one in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you have revived your concern for me. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then the bumper sticker verse for modern Christianity. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How? By rejoicing in hope because it makes much of Jesus. That's the second thing. Third one is this. Third one is this. Be careful how you fill in the blanks. It matters more than you realize. What am I talking about? I'm looking at verses 21 through 26 right here. And verse 21 is that famous verse where Paul says, 
For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. I'm wondering if it were up to you today to fill in the blanks of that statement for yourself. How would you fill it in? Be honest with yourself. This is not a time for the Sunday school answer where you just try to say the religious thing. I mean, really, for the, for, for the well-being of your soul, would you be honest enough with yourself right now to say, for me, for Mark, today, for me to live is what? Wearsby said this, he, he said, to live is to be alive. So my question to you is this, what makes you feel alive? As we've been locked away in our homes and we can't go do the things and all the stuff that we used to do, what is it you're longing for the most? I've heard so many ladies just, just praying for the salons to open back up so they can get their nails done, right? I mean, that's important stuff, Okay. There are a lot of people who need a haircut, let's be honest. But underlying all of that, there's so much of, of the human condition that says to live is vanity or it's beauty. You know, it's, it's shopping. It's accumulation. It's stuff. What is it for you? If you're honest enough, would you say... For me to live is accumulating money. Or for me to live is vacations. Or for me to live is sex or family or reputation or pleasure. Guys, if, if I'm being honest with you, on my worst day, that's, that's my deal, man. I just, pleasure is good. I'm for it. I seek it out. Things that, that make this sh- Whatever this is, feel good. I'm, I'm given to my own recourses. I'm going for that. But on my best day, on the days when I'm walking in the Spirit, I don't want anything more than I want Christ. You know what that feels like. If Christ is in you, you know what it feels like to have the pleasure of God on your life and be totally aware of it. Guys, that's where I want to hang out. For me to live is Christ. I don't want all that other stuff. I mean, have you ever really been satisfied with any of that other stuff? And if you are, it's so temporal. And there's this point of diminishing return. You know, you, it, it took this much to satisfy you today. It's going to take more to satisfy you tomorrow. As long as you're looking for love in all those wrong places. To die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. How would you, to die is what for you? When you think about death, are you afraid of it? Or, I think a lot of people, especially when you're young, to die is to be ignored. I mean, you don't even acknowledge it because you think you're invincible. And as you get older and older, you realize, um, no, it's, it's, I'm not, there's some cracks in the facade here. I mean, I'm not as invincible as I once was. But there are people that just, just put off even dealing with it. They refuse to acknowledge it. 
Some people, to die is legacy. I want to be remembered. Like the, like the ancient Egyptian pharaohs who, who built huge monuments called pyramids so that they would never be forgotten. And guess what? The pyramids are there, but nobody knows those guys. Guys, if you start that sentence with, for me to live is money, then you might want to finish it with, and to die is to, to, to watch my kids fight over it when I'm gone. How many families have you seen totally ripped apart, fighting over their parents' stuff? Guys, all these things, if you feel that way now, it doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're human. And you're walking in the flesh. See, Maxie Dunham in her her commentary about this passage had this quote. I love it. This is what she said. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Isn't this the highest, clearest point to which our faith can take us? I mean, when when you get to that point, when you can say that and you mean it, you've arrived at a place that's a pretty good place to be. She goes on to say this, when we arrive at that juncture of our spiritual pilgrimage, we will then be able to live with joyful, self-giving, abandoned, welcoming every bit of life, and without fear of death. One of my fears about how I see people reacting in everything that's going on today is that there's so much fear about staying safe that people are forgetting how to live. See, there's a, there's a life still out there, people. And our hope has to be bigger than our fear to live as Christ. To die is gain. The message translation of that verse verse says this. It says, to live is Christ and to, to die is bounty. It's more. Like, it, to, to live, if I live, I'm Christ's messenger. If I, if I die, I'm his bounty. Like, I gain. It's life upon life. I can't lose. Guys, it's a great way to live. Last thing is this. See, before I get to the gift that keeps on giving, let me, let me sum up what I just said with this. Paul said, if, if I'm going to go on living in the flesh, that is blank for me. He said, I want to go. I'd rather go. It's better. I'd, I'd rather be with Christ. But I'm going to stay because it's better for you. And if I go on living in the flesh, that is fruitful labor for me is what the word says. What is it for you? If, if God decides we're going to stay in this state of kind of unknown for a while, and he's not going to rescue us from the circumstance, what does it mean for you? What does faith look like for you? Maybe it means that we're supposed to have an other's focus. I'm going to walk through this for your sake. We have this conversation as a church staff every week. How can we remind the people of Whitestone Church they're not alone and that we're for them and that, and that God is still at work. It shouldn't take a pandemic for us to ask those questions regularly. Are you asking those questions in your own home? That, God, I don't like this, but if you choose to leave me here, I'm going to live. I'm going I'm to live for the sake 
of those around me and not for myself. See, Paul went on to say later in Philippians, he said, hey, because of all this, I just, I just, I hadn't gotten it yet. I keep pressing on. I keep pressing on because I got to finish this race. The fourth thing is this. There really is a gift that keeps on giving. It may not be the one you think. See, this is not like the fruit of the month club. Something that just shows up. It's, it's something, you got to be looking for it. You got to, it might not even be gift wrapped in a pretty box. What am I talking about? Paul says, let your, the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. And whether I come through this or not, don't let it depend on me. And he, he says this, he says, regardless of how it turns out, stand firm. Church, stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith, not frightened in anything. What would it look like if the church really came out of this different? Brock and I do these, <clears throat> these corny on the bright side videos every week. They're changing the world. <clears throat> I'm sure of it. But on the bright side, I do believe that this season of life has miraculously accomplished something that seemed impossible most of my life. It's awakened the church. People who didn't give much thought to kingdom things are starting to get a kingdom perspective. I see signs of it all around. And it is a beautiful thing. It's shaken us to our core. See, because a lot of the things that we used to rely on used to take comfort in, they've, they've been stripped away. Our idols have been torn down. That's not a bad thing. It's brought us back to simplicity in many ways. In 2002, a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in a very long time, named Ross King, wrote a song called Clear the Stage. And as I went back and I read the lyrics to Ross's song from 2002, which has always been a train wrecker for me. It's just one of those songs that you, you just need kind of a kick in the pants. Go listen to Clear the Stage by Ross King. But listen to the lyrics of this song and see if they don't apply today more than ever. Clear the stage. Set the sound and lights ablaze if that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too until the congregation's few. Then have revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends until you're broken for your sins. You can't be social. And seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store and know that great is your reward. So just be hopeful because you can sing all you want to. But worship's more than a song. Take a break from all the plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Read the Word and put, the, put to test the things you've heard until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken. Beg Him please to open up His mouth and speak. Pray for real upon your knees until they blister.
Because anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. We must not worship something that's not even worth it. So clear the stage. Make some space for the one who deserves it. Guys, I see a lot of space being made for the king through this. And I I hate that so many people are suffering in so many ways, but at the end of the day, if that happens, it's worth it. If that happens in your life, it's worth it. Don't be looking to just go back out and rebuild all these idols. Make some space. Why? Because there's a gift that keeps on giving, and that gift is suffering. That is the gift, for it has been granted to you, verse 29, not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. It's been granted, it's been gifted to you. See, suffering for the sake of Christ is the only pathway that gets us to share in His resurrection. We don't talk about that a whole lot. Because it doesn't sell, right? I mean, it's not popular. But Paul says, for His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish compared to gaining Christ, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and share in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain resurrection from the dead. The message translation of this verse in Philippians 1.29 is this. There's far more to this life than trusting Christ. There's also suffering for Him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this. You lay down your life for your friends. Guys, this season gives us a unique opportunity to willingly lay down our lives for one another. And in so doing, find ourselves suffering for Jesus' sake. Pray with me. Father, I, uh, I thank you for the boldness and the and just the the fearlessness of Paul to challenge us to the very core of who we are. To make us fill in the blank for ourselves. For me to live is what? Is it Christ? God, I pray that you would become our only desire and we would do whatever necessary to find our joy in you. You've never let us down. You've never lied to us. Forgive us for feeling like when hard times come that you've let us down. Jesus, you said in this world we're going to have trouble, but how we walk through it matters. God, I pray that we would realize that the other prisoners are listening and they're watching. And I pray that other people's faith might be made stronger by what they see in your church. Thank you for clearing the stage for us in so many ways. 
And now let us do something beautiful with the space. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.